I remember that night like feeling because obviously I wasn't out to myself then. I remember just feeling like something was wrong because I was like, I remember just very distinctly like wanting it to be done and wanting to go to bed and being like something is missing with me. Like we have now done this a few times. I should be feeling something. I should be feeling anything. I did not feel a goddamn thing like want desire was totally absent and I just didn't have an explanation for it. And as we continued to have sex throughout, you know, the early months of our marriage, I like was very conscientious of that and like conscientious of trying to do new things and like trying new positions, trying other things, just like trying to figure out what we could do that I would unlock whatever was missing in me. And it took, you know, about a year into the marriage for me to be like, oh, I'm gay. <laughs> that's what's that's what what it is. But first, a word from our sponsors. Welcome to the Man Or Podcast. Shout out to all you gender fluid Jews and diesel dykes, gay Mormons and evansexuals. This is Billy Presida and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Hashtag diesel dykes. You'll hear about them later in the show. What's up, everybody? Uh, on this week's podcast, I have got on writer Gina Cadlick, former escaped ex-evangelical. And we're going to be talking about her journey in just a little bit. But first, to keep things kind of gay, kind of queer, just like Gina. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've been checking out <laughs> the news or conservative Twitter recently. But they, okay, there's a book I have not read called Gender Queer by Maya Kababe. Sorry if I'm fucking up that last name. It's a graphic novel for young adults. I have not read it. Uh, but I have read like three or four panels of it because conservative groups made a whole ass video about how Michigan school libraries are just filled with pornography. In fact, like many uh, conservative groups around the country in various you know states, I feel like they are all a lot of them are using this book Genderqueer as their example that the left is just throwing porn into the schools. And you know if 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 that were true then I lament the fact that you know I was I was born ahead of my time. If anything if there were porn in the school it should be in like a very special accomplishment part of the library like only if you're getting straight A's and you got all your homework done you can have access to that section. I think that would be an incentive. I don't think the internet age it really works, but you know I think back in my time before easy access to high quality pornography online, I think that would have that would have made me study hard. I ended up in this little flame war because like I saw the video and in the video they show these like, you know, obviously they're they're cherry picking the panels to show. And I thought it was a fair question to say because they say, you know, like the school's libraries are filled with pornography, but they don't say which grade levels uh, and the titles of the alleged pornography because we might be able to look it up. You know, it's always best if you keep the villain ambiguous and scary and the victims as young and defenseless as you can possibly imagine. So I asked, like, hey, what grade level library is this book in? And nobody wanted to answer. By the way, the answer to the question, I'm pretty sure, is high school. It is recommended 16 and up. I'd be uncomfortable if it was in a third grade library. I don't think it belongs in a third grade classroom. Unless the kid was held back a lot of years. 
But people were just going all like, oh, this couldn't possibly be appropriate for any grade level. Ah, it's, it's, it's inappropriate for any child up until the age of 37. What? Boomer. Settle down. A bunch of them were calling the book pornography, which it's not. Pornography actually has a definition. This comes from Cornell Law School's site. Pornography, porn or porno for short, is material that depicts nudity or sexual acts for the purpose of sexual stimulation. Just like the Second Amendment, where they talk about the well-regulated militia, uh, the conservatives always like to ignore those like later clauses in a, in a sentence or statute. Cornell's website continues, however, the presence of nudity or sexual acts in a piece of media does not necessarily make that media pornographic if the purpose of that media form is something other than sexual stimulation. They're all seeing a sex act depicted in the graphic novel and go like, that's porn. I'm like, that's not the definition of porn. And not for nothing, The Great Gatsby, which a lot of us had to read in high school. Look, Great Gatsby, some of, I think even middle school, right? Great Gatsby has sex scenes in it and they're, they're infidelity sex scenes. So they're like even worse. What's the problem? Like I tried to compare it to ancient Greek art that depicts butt fucking or Renaissance paintings that have casual nudity. I was like, yeah, surely your kid has gone on a class trip to a museum. And when you go to a museum, you're going to see some casual titties. And technically, that's that's art education, all right? It's not porn, it's art, or whatever. And this one dude, Greg, just keeps getting into it with me consistently. And he's going all like, uh, my kids are all adults, and not once did they ever see anything in a museum that would be considered porn or inappropriate. No nudity, no exposed body parts, <laughs> and certainly no sexual activity. I was like, sir, I don't think you've heard of the Renaissance or been to an art museum. And his reply, no, I have not. I've never seen someone claim ignorance as their like own, you know? No one's ever been like, yeah, I don't know about that stuff, slam. I was like, who, who makes that the defense? Actually, somebody else, like uh, some uh, cam girl, she ended up in underneath that thread on her own she's arguing him and i saw an exchange where like he's he she misread something and thought he'd been to a museum and he shoots back like don't you dare accuse me greg g of twitter fame to 57 followers don't you dare accuse me of having been to a museum where did i say i've been to a museum lady don't you dare keep the words greg g and museum out your mouth together okay that i was like what is this but he does follow up with a new conspiracy that i've never heard of and i was i gosh i'm going to bookmark i might even print out this whole thread because it's quite entertaining to read i'm gonna link to it in the show notes oh but he goes he's like no i have not been to a museum and then he says liberal democrats use museums to indoctrinate people's children with pornography that's amazing and then he started going on about, on about how, like, you know, oh, uh, uh, they, then it turns out, again, hot take. He just doesn't value art. He's like, art has never uh, contributed anything to the history of mankind. Name one piece of art that has, like, done anything to actually help mankind develop something. And then someone tweeted at him, the Vitruvian man, and uh, he seemed to ignore it. Because I don't think he understands what it is. Because he doesn't seem to be a very smart person. And if you don't know what the Vitruvian man is, you have the internet. But it definitely helped people understand the human body. Of course, the book Gender Queer, it's not porn. The author, again, Maya Kababe, 
wrote about growing up non-binary and grappling with the typical coming-of-age stuff, you know, getting your period, embarrassing doctor visits, experimenting with sexuality, okay? And these are real things that, like, real kids are dealing with. And again, this is a book that was meant for, like, high school-aged kids. I presume that this book was in a high school library, not in a third-grade classroom. And I don't know why these people are so concerned with hiding the reality of like things that they're struggling with from the kids who are struggling with them. I even tried to ask Greg, I was like, you know, earlier in the, in the exchanges where I was like, where did you learn about sex? And he was like, well, not at school. I'm like, yeah, but like, how did you learn about sex? And he just wouldn't tell me. He's like, what are you trying to insinuate? It's like, I'm not trying to insinuate shit. I'm trying to ask like, where did you learn about sex? I was like, dude, don't you remember being like scared and nervous that first time? Like, don't you wish you weren't? And don't you think if you knew more about like what sex kind of could look like and how it's supposed to work and how you're supposed to talk about it, don't you think you would have been less nervous? Don't you want these kids to, when they become sexually active, be less scared of sex? I mean, maybe not. Maybe, you know, a lot of the, a lot of conservatives, a lot of the religious ones, they, they don't want, they want people to be scared of sex, but this dude's an atheist. So I'm just like, come on, man, talk to me, atheist to atheist. God's not involved in this situation. But of course, evade, evade, evade. And then he's like, uh, art is meaningless and museums are conspiracy theories by liberal Democrats to give our kids porn. Greg G, you're fun. And I'm not even going to come out and tell you all like how great uh, the book Gender Queer is. I haven't read it. You can go to the Goodreads link in the show notes and you can read the positive reviews yourself. There are many. It's won awards for a reason, apparently. And not for nothing. There are a lot of negative reviews, too. I didn't see any negative reviews about it being pornography. The the very first one-star review I came across says, I really feel frustrated with how little critical thought was in this book. Maya relays all the ways their female body was stigmatized by societal norms and the ways having a female body is a messy business, but cannot connect that to their own discomfort with their body. And then this reviewer went on to, you know, say that the discomforts of female purity, puberty are not unique to Maya and Maya's character and blah, blah, blah. Okay, okay. Another one-star review said, to be clear, I am literally non-binary. And my one-star review is because this book is badly drawn and badly written and I hated it. So, like, stop calling things that are not porn porn and instead say, I don't think it's very good. Then have a Coke and a smile and shut the fuck up. Your child is on Pornhub using a VPN to get around your parental blocker as we speak. God. Anyways, folks, that was just like a little fight I got into. I wanted to share with y'all because I don't really feel like sharing um, the almost full on fist fight I got into when some like random 21 year old punk. So a couple fights for Billy this weekend, but like, it's all good because the Jets, baby, I know this is a sex and dating podcast, but uh, the Jets, I think this is relevant for the show because like the way they, they've been winning in the last two minutes of a game is arousing, um, very sexy. You know, you see Elijah Moore catch a touchdown and I'm like, I'm rock hard, not for Elijah Moore, but the game. Okay. I squeezed in enough New York Jets content as I could into one episode. Uh, before I get to this week's guest, Gina Cadlick. Uh, folks, I got some, mm, mm, you know it, show dates, show dates, people. Tonight, Wednesday, October 5th, I'm going to be in Valley Stream, New York at Zaphires at 9 p.m. 
tomorrow, October 6th, I'll be at the Bridge and Tunnel Brewery in Queens. October 10th, I'll be at Grand Village Comedy Club on the 7 p.m. show. October 12th, I'm at Essence Bar on Atlantic Avenue and uh, Jersey City. October 20th, I'll be at Pet Shop. And then I'm getting a CAT scan at Bellevue on October 24th. Come check me out. Uh, any of those places, any of those dates. If you show up at Bellevue, like have a big sign so it's obvious you're there for me. Be like, man, whore podcast number one. Hope the kidney stone is gone. I don't know. <laughs> and of course, another very important date for Fan Horn Nation to know is next Thursday, October 13th. We're doing another hot, another hot, another hot pocket, hot movie night. October 13th, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we are going to conclude the Taboo American Style Saga. We're doing part four. We're going to figure out what the fuck Nina's got up her sleeve next or who she has up her cunt. And if you're new here, Hot Movie Night, it's a monthly event where me and uh, my Patreon supporters, we gather together on the Discord server. And I know I'm throwing a lot of different platform names at you. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> we come together on Discord and we uh, we watch a retro porno together. It's been really, really fun. It's like a much hornier Mystery Science Theater 3000 experience. Uh, we, we crack jokes about the sex happening on screen. And uh, everyone is quiet when there's dialogue because I'm trying to follow the plot. To join us for a hot movie night, you got to, one, be in the champagne room at manwhorepod.com slash discord. And two, you got to be supporting yours truly on Patreon. That's at any level, beginning just at $2 a month. Speaking of Patreon, let's do a quick fan whore appreciation moment. This is the part of the pod where I like to give a shout out to someone supporting me with their doll hairs on the Patreon right now. I want to say a big old thank you to Mac. Mac, you're wonderful. It was so nice to meet you at the last hot movie night. You had such fun things to say. Very brave of you to keep your camera on with me. Thank you. You got a great smile. And if you want to join us for the hot movie night, or if you just want to support the work that I'm doing here at the Man Whore Podcast, become a member today. Support the whore you love. Enjoy a bunch of great benefits at patreon.com slash Podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. My guest this week is Gina Cadlick. Uh, her book, Heretic, is available for pre-order. There will be a link in the show notes. We had a super dope conversation about the lack of separation of church and state, the evangelical cult she escaped, and uh, being gay. Like, really gay. Hashtag Diesel Dykes. Um, she's not one, but, you know, she's encountered them. Uh, folks, you're going to have fun with this one. I know I did. Let's go chat some more. With Gina Cadlick. Okay, but first I got a few commercials for you. I hope you don't mind. It is sure. not a safe website. <laughs> if you're an author, run the other direction. Dune. I mean, again, people who read and review and find Goodreads helpful. Love this for you. If you are an author, like run the other direction. <laughs> again, things that are good for readers are not always good for writers, right? Like yeah. and such. And also I think there are some really good like examples that I shouldn't get into of authors who have like very publicly combusted because of Goodreads. Um 
there are some authors who have doxxed their Goodreads reviewers like for bad reviews. So I just think it's a really good way to like protect your peace and preserve your mental health and not engage with bad reviews. So, yeah. (laughs) Now, when you're doing like, a you know, press as you're starting or you're ramping up or you're in the middle of, you know, press for this book, does part of you get like tired of talking about the church? You know, weirdly, no, I thought of I thought that immediately. I was like, no, fuck, no, I don't. I have endless reserves of anger for the church. Great. Um, and but it's actually even less the endless reserves of anger. Honestly, I think that at this point, you know, I I've been again, I've been out of it for so long and and have and I, I, I you know, I joke about about the anger like it's there but um but it's not like top you know it's not my immediate response or reaction Mm -hmm. anymore when i talk or think about it i have you know had enough time at this point you know especially after writing the book that i feel like i've done the sitting and thinking and the solitude and the processing necessary in order in order to like uh, i was joking you know my editor and i were joking about this the other day in order to be a kind of reverse missionary if you will like out into the secular world to explain how fucked up my mind went straight to the position i was like okay let's see where oh, she's God. going with this <laughs> fuck and then i was like oh right <laughs> other word no the other word the other word yeah no but like to be you know yeah like the reverse version of that like going out into the secular world and that i'm obviously in but talking and explaining like how insidious evangelical culture is and how things have really gotten the way that they are in this country in large part because of the church's influence and foundational role in politics. And I especially saw this so much, you know, when Roe was overturned earlier this year. And I just had so many uh, friends in the city, queer and otherwise, who were asking, like, how did this happen? Like, obviously, you know, there were a lot of decisions leading up to that, like Texas's SB8 that, you know, very clearly were and all of the Trump years like that that were very clearly laying the foundation. But there was just this overwhelming despair and sadness and grief and I think confusion as to how it could have so successfully like and seemingly quickly occurred. And especially for something that like, most of the country was pretty chill about the vast majority parents were younger, right? And the vast majority evangelicals like pro-abortion like in a yeah, way yeah yeah no the 70s? no yeah like it wasn't the issue that abortion that i mean now the narrative is that oh evangelicals like you know hate abortion but that wasn't what they coalesced around in the 70s you know back then they were it was segregation is what uh really mobilized them politically was defending uh white uh christian private schools in right. the south that was what they mobilized around and in the early 1970s you know there are polls that upwards of 70 percent of southern baptist pastors defended the right to abortion in the case of even like mental health reasons you know it wasn't just like oh to save the life of the mother the way that some moderate republicans talk about it now they were like yeah there are a wide number of conditions that this is absolutely allowable number like underneath and it really shifted toward the late 70s when Republicans, you know, under Nixon's Southern strategy, like very profoundly anti-Black Southern strategy went in and were like, this is a 
an insular, motivated, angry, highly organized, very conservative base that we can tap into and that we need something that's we need something that's not as obviously racist as segregation to be mobilizing around. And abortion was a really obvious issue. And that's what they uh, so, you know, abortion, um, the quote unquote Reagan's quote unquote war on drugs. Um in the 80s. Uh, and a lot of like language you see in the late 70s and early 80s, a lot of language around things like states rights, you know, and family values starts to come into the political spe- uh, sphere. And that's all directly appealing to evangelicals. A lot of it's coming from evangelicals, like the family values, especially. And these are all very coded for white people, yeah. right? They're very coded for white voters, for white Southern voters, for white Midwestern voters, like folks out West. Um, And this is language that's really baked in and from the church and that goes over the heads of a lot of folks who don't have a religious background and who also aren't keyed in, you know, obviously like into white for white folks who aren't keyed into the racist dog whistles Mm -hmm. as well. That the black people in this country and indigenous people in this country, a hundred percent are are hearing um, from these people, Um, which is to say that like, they started laying all the groundwork for the Dobbs decision, like in the seventies, you know, and it's, and the thing is to me as someone who grew up in, in those churches is that it's incredibly clear how this happened. They always said they were going to do this. They made their plans very obvious. It was vote for these people so that we get the Supreme court. It's like, yeah, it's like always number on their dot gov. Right. And it says here, Right. They've always been extremely clear that this was the goal and that this was what they wanted to do. And this was how you did it. And they Mm -hmm. in church, like they always connected it to politics. It was like, I know that there's this idea that church and state are separate, which is just so fucking fake. It's not true. It's never been true in this country. And it's just very, um, I don't know, it's very astonishing to me, I think, but also not that so many folks think somehow that church and state are or should be or ever have been separate and also that evangelicals in spite of having successfully elected trump successfully now overturned abortion it's like oh but they're disorganized oh but they're stupid oh but they don't know what they're doing oh religious people are not intelligent i'm like they have essentially brought this country to the brink of like full-on fascism they know exactly what they're doing. They're incredibly intelligent. They're highly organized. And these the populists, maybe not as much, but the people in, you know, leading right. the way, the people oh, deciding what to put on the brochure did a good job. Extraordinarily so. And and these ideas, you know, that I am surrounded by, you know, and I've lived I've lived out east. I've lived in Boston and New York for 10 years now. And um you know, I've been in academia and I've been in the media and literary circles out here yeah. in New York. And I've just been, yeah, surrounded by a lot of um, dismissive attitudes toward that. And so I feel very, you know, in a place in my life at this point where I've got my anchor under control enough, if you will, <laughs> that I can, that I, right, but that I can like hopefully talk to people and like use this book to talk to folks like this is how it happened this is why this is how they think i go i unpack a lot of like mm-hmm. how exactly they get from a to b to c to y <laughs> so quickly i feel that the conversation and have observed that the conversation around um 
the way that it was before Roe and they were like, oh, it'll never happen. And then it did. And they were like, oh, my God. They immediately like other like other white people, straight people have just immediately pivoted to, oh, Lawrence will never. Oh, Oberfell will never. (laughs) You were just saying that about Roe. Of course they will. Of course they Your will. Your blowjobs will be under attack, straight people. I promise. <laughs> Thir- I think it was like 13 states had, uh, had anti-sodomy laws that like went after. Yeah. Uh, no, it's j- and too. also like, like, I mean, like, I love that you're, I mean, obviously like relevant to both of us, but like you're saying, like Lawrence, like literally just happened, like what, 2003? Yeah. What was it Lawrence? It's not old. It's not old. <laughs> like Roe was wasn't illegal. Like Roe wasn't old lifetime. either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Roe wasn't old either, but Lawrence is like, you know, Gen Z is yeah. old enough to have been born under Lawrence yeah. and and under Oberfeld. Like, it's and I, I'm not the biggest fan of, like, you know, marriage equality being what gay rights have been pip, like founded on. But I still would very sincerely like to not see it overturned. Yeah. Like, that, that would be great yeah. if it wasn't. Um you know, and is, the, oh, please. Oh, no, no, please keep going. Oh, I was just going to say, and like, and we all know that the only thing remotely holding loving back will be Clarence Thomas's hypocrisy. That's the only <laughs> thing. The only, but like li- the only bulwark, ho- like however you say that word, holding loving is going to be Clarence Thomas. And like, who knows? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> they love their states' rights. They love their states' rights. Is your is your partner also from like the evangelical world or what? Yeah, yeah. It's no, it's so interesting that you asked that. Um, yeah, she also grew up uh, evangelical. Okay. Her parents. Uh, and which which like evangelical sect did you come from? I grew so I I talk I don't talk about this in the book a ton. I guess I mentioned I talk. Tell me it's a cult. No. Okay. <laughs> well, sometimes I get surprised, and someone will be like, "I was in a cult." And I was like, "Someone did not I, put that in your boiler." I was briefly in a cult. <laughs> Um, briefly in a cult? I know. <laughs> like, but, but. <laughs> Wiped away. What cult were you in? Well, it wasn't. Well, the thing is, it's, it wasn't a cult like something like Children of God is a cult, right? Like oh, something yeah. that's very well known and that's like horrifically abusive and, you know, just kind of famously that people escape and it like costs their lives to escape and it's extraordinarily awful. Um, but uh, yeah, when I was in high school, my. Um, because we we moved a lot um, growing up uh, for my dad's job, and because of that, I attended a number of different churches, um, and which I actually think, in hindsight, was pretty lucky because it did give me exposure to a, a number of different kinds of evangelical churches. Okay. Some that were more traditional, and some that were more like, you know, what you think of when you see Jesus Camp or like, um, yeah. you know, uh, Joel Osteen's Big Lakewood congregation of like people with their hands in the air and you've got a charismatic white man on stage in a flannel dressed like a lesbian being like, oh, appropriating your culture. <laughs> exactly. Yes, how dare you? Honestly, though, <laughs> really, hip- all these hipster pastors have just appropriated gay culture. That's really all they've done. Um yeah, but when I was in high school, my dad, who um, was like an ex-Catholic, like, quote unquote, got saved and accepted Jesus into his heart, as the evangelicals say. And he, because he was then the spiritual head of our household, because evangelicalism is just so profoundly like, you know, men are in charge and women are not. Like mm-hmm. the fact that my mom had been a believer for decades and had been the one like raising my sister and I in the faith, that fucking didn't matter. Like my dad got saved. He'd like never read a Bible. Didn't matter. He gets to make all the decisions now. Um, it's like, but that's how. And which sect was that? Um, 
we were attending a like non-denominational church that was like that was under what is called the general baptist conference um it's non-denominational that means just some guy he's like i came up with these rules they seem they seem good yeah so it's a it's a they still are affiliated with General Baptist, but it's not like Southern Baptist. Okay. Baptist. There are a number of strains of Baptist. Is it's a little complicated to it's get like into. COVID, a lot of strains. Exactly. A lot of weird names. <laughs> Can't understand them all. Oh my and, god. And uh, you know the overall vaccine is knowledge. It's- yeah. Actually, though, actually, um, but the the church that my dad wanted to go to was basically a non-denominational cult where it is just one guy making it up like as he goes along who's not under the you know, i mean say what you will about like organized religion and you know i have a lot of issues like my dad's family is extremely catholic and so i also like grew up going to mass with my grandparents so like i had familiarity with the catholic church also um but like again, lots of issues with Catholicism, lots of issues with that kind of hierarchy. But like they do have an account of theoretically, they yeah. have a structure of accountability theor- in theory. Yeah. Um, that when you have these quote unquote non denominational churches, like you're saying, it's just some fucking guy that he had like a, who had an, enough people. Yeah, who conned enough people to go to his church and like he's in charge and he's not accountable to anybody. There's not. Anyone he like he's he might say, oh, I'm accountable to like my mentors or whatever. That doesn't mean jack shit. So we went to one of these kinds of churches where the level of control and like observation was extreme um, when like we like the pastors would like go up and down the aisles recording your behavior and attendance and black books like. I decided to leave this. Ch- I talk about this in the book. Um, I decided to leave this church at one point during my senior year of high school because I was because a number of things had happened and I was just like, peace, I'm done. Um, again, because I'd been exposed to a number of other churches growing up and I was like, this is not normal. The level of control isn't normal. The level of criticism isn't normal. The way that they try to like tell us not to be friends with people who aren't believers who- and also who just don't go to this church. Right. It was like a... I mean, evangelicalism is a curse and a blight, but like the way that some evangelical churches, not all, will say that anyone who doesn't attend their specific church is not a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm sorry, anyone who doesn't go to our church in small town Wisconsin isn't a Christian? Are you fucking kidding me? What kind of bullshit is this? Anyway, I left that church um, during my senior year of high school and all of the youth pastors instructed all of my friends and other people to not speak to me at the church. Uh, it was the senior pastors. Even I was a 17 year old girl. I was a minor. The senior pastors were like, she this is-, is when you chose to leave. Yeah. When I chose yeah. to leave, they were like, she is slandering the church. She is like, not of God. She is not to be trusted. Like, but this is what they did to anyone who left. And that kind of like slandering that kind of excision and exile, like and shunning being enacted on someone who leaves is a very traditional trademark of yeah. cults we had this with a i kate do you know kate kelly yes from more yeah the more yes. from mormon world she yep. was on a couple months ago same thing yes when she left like you lose all the friends you lose yeah. all the support you lose all the things you gotta go buy new underpants it's like, yeah it, no it sounds, it's, it sounds like an ordeal yeah it's an ordeal and and so that was the experience at, at that church like which was very i i 
call it a church cult because I'm like, I, I have some friends who've been in like cult cults and I'm like, I don't, you know, we, they didn't force us to like move to the woods and like, you, you know, drink and like drink stuff? some cool, like they didn't make us drink Kool-Aid. They didn't, you know, like they were the really extreme, you know, Jonestown-y kind of situations like that didn't happen, but it was incredibly insular and incredibly controlling in ways that even at the other fucked up churches I attended they never were that mm. they never were like that and and as leaving that church did feel like escaping something and so. as you left the church you go pretty much straight into college from there yeah so how do you feel like uh being all caught up in that how do you feel like that influenced your dating life and practices when you got to college and were free of all this bullshit. Yeah. I mean, the thing was that I didn't, I left that church and I went to school, but I was still a Christian. I, even though I left that church and I, it really irreparably damaged my relationship to, and my trust in church leadership going forward. Like I still tried to attend different churches when I was in college, but I like didn't what evangelicals call like plugging in and like getting to know people and like joining a Bible study. I didn't do any of that. I just like went to Sunday services, didn't talk to anybody, didn't get to know people, was like, I'm here for worship, and then I'm going to leave. Peace be with you, and <laughs> bye-bye. And bye-bye, exactly. <laughs> just like, and I'm out. Like, I don't want to connect to any sure. of these people because I'm not going to trust them. Um, and in college, I really just invested in my women's Bible study, like with other with other women who were also in college. I uh, know, that sounds like a great pickup strategy. I That's- mean... <laughs> In hindsight, it's hella obvious. And, you know, um, but how it impacted my dating was Wait, did the, you ever hook up with anyone from Bible study? No, Missed listen, every, dude, I know. Listen, I <laughs> when I tell you, like, I was such a prude. I was such a prude. I did not do anything. I did not like barely date. And I was just so, I mean, so truly like deadened to what I wanted and to desire. And I was like, I'm so good at being a Christian. I don't want to sleep with boys. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, no shit, (laughs) you know? Do you want to sleep with girls? I don't want to sleep with boys. So I'm a good Christian, ignoring the question. Ignoring the question. (laughs) And I don't know, but I like, I have so many friends, you know, who are ex-evangelical and who are out now who like made out with girls in college and just like justified it as practice. I wasn't even doing that. And I'm like, man, I like, where did I fuck up that that wasn't an option for me? Were (laughs) you telling yourself like, I don't want to like be sexual, but you kind of did or you really did? No, I super wasn't. Like, I think you weren't denying yourself. No, I like it was just it went so deep. It just like went so far down. I was so repressed and so like had just banished all of that to the corners of my subconscious. And I think that, yeah, because like when I talk to folks about it, they're like, wait, like, wait, you really you really didn't you really like but really gina you really? didn't you super didn't like even one little make out i'm like no like well, i mean i'm not i'm questioning i was i'm my questions are more even along the lines of was there an urge and like mm. you're just suppressing it and saying mm. christian you're just like no nah, it was good no and yeah. it's so interesting though because like you know i wanted to be around women all the time uh one of my majors was women's studies uh i preferred i taught swing dancing because what christian didn't at my school and i preferred dancing with other women to dancing with men this is just hilarious in hindsight things are very obvious no, but i'm more. but i'm like i interned at u-haul you know, <laughs> know i should have great company um but <laughs> i just 
I didn't connect the dots. Like it didn't register for me. And I was like, oh, well, of course I do. I feel safe with them. Like, Not to be vulgar, but were you at least in touch with your own body? Or yeah. Was that, okay. So like yeah. masturbation was on the table, but yeah. like being with others still was like an, okay. No. And I felt really bad about it because masturbation's a sin. So right, it was right, like, right, 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 right. yes, you, yes, I did. And then I would feel bad about it because okay. yeah. So when did you start to connect dots? Uh, not until I was married to a man. <laughs> so a pastor's son, right? A pastor's son. So does this yeah. mean you got sucked back in? Yeah. I mean, I, again, like I was never fully out of the church. Like I, I was, you know, I, even though I was very skeptical of church leadership and not super into being part of a church, uh-huh. I was still very much a believer. I still very much loved Jesus. I okay. still was all about that. And I, you know, we went to the same college and I led the w- women's Bible study, you know, later on, like in my upper, you know, upper undergrad years. And he led the men's Bible study. Sure. Um, and, we had similar goals. We both wanted to be professors in academia and, you know, we were both, you know, among our friends, more of the intellectual type. And yeah, he just kind of talked me into it, honestly. Into the he, marriage or going out on a date? All of it. Oh <laughs> he, he liked me, uh, you know, we were good friends, but in the way, how you kind of, Ideally, you both really, really like and love each other. And it was definitely in hindsight weighted. You know, he was a lot more into me than I was into him. However, I was also of the mind because, like I said, I was a women's studies major. I was trying to find a way to cultivate my independence and my criticism of like sexism in the church alongside a faith that I still really cared about. And he was fine with that. And I was like... Um, this is an evangelical dude who will like, let me do that and not get on my case about it. You. Yes, I will. I was like, and done. <laughs> like, yeah. cool. Like, you're the one done locking it in. <laughs> like, and, and had you dated people up until that point? Not really. Not, really. not seriously. Like I'd had some high school boyfriends, but like it's high school. No, where, high school. Like, not where, since, since your liberation. Yeah. Like where, really. where are you going in high school? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, to your parents' house, like to the Dairy Queen. I don't, I lived in small town, Wisconsin. I, mean, like, I remember in suburbia, Jersey, I was trying to call someone up and ask on a date, but I didn't know where to go. So I was like, do you want to get ice cream? Because I was like, I don't right. know where a date goes. Right. Oh, my she God. She did not want to get ice cream. <laughs> where did she want to go? Oh, nowhere. No, no. She just. Oh, she just interested. didn't want to. I, I was an idiot boy because I just didn't. I don't. I didn't. You know, if someone gives me an answer, I assume they're telling me the truth. Right. So in eighth grade, like I called this chick Casey every Sunday. I think it was like five Sundays in a row before she finally was like, oh, I just don't see you that way. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. I'll see you tomorrow at school. Like, it was fine. I was oh like, my in my head, I was like, you should have said that like a month ago. But right. Okay. Right. But also that's a valuable, I, I don't know. It's a valuable lesson for everyone. Like, so just, just turn someone down. It's fine. Like, well, you know, the later I would learn that, that not everyone takes it as fine. But I was like, I don't know. I, yeah. If you tell me maybe next week, I'll be like, all right, maybe all right. next week. Maybe next week. I'll call you next week. Also, so. you know what? Props for consistency. Like that, <laughs> like eight, eighth grade, like I feel like eighth grade boys like calling every, what? Like that's kind of amazing. <laughs> well, you know. You you liked her. Yeah. Uh, you know, I tried love poetry for a couple of years where other people didn't work too well. <laughs> oh my I God. I thought this was a more toned down version. <laughs> 
Oh, love poetry, though. Can you tell that when love bombing became like an SEO keyword, I took it personally? <laughs> um, but also, okay, middle school and high school, who among us like did not super do love poetry, like emo poet, like who didn't have a poetry phase it was a among huge writers to teach me stanzas? Oh. And, like it was a huge mistake. Because I just went to town. Oh, that's so real, though. Like, oh, I remember, dude, I in seventh grade i wrote like the worst collection quote unquote of christian poetry and i gave it to my english teacher to review i know she get you know what she was so fucking sweet because she it was like named after an enya song speaking of like lyrics i know but she (laughs) gay but she (laughs) like it was so sweet because she still like you know gave me notes on it constructively and gave it back to like little baby gina and i you know Miss Libikuski and Miss Latimer, shout out to you two because, like, I didn't know, and y'all were just being the be- the best. So, <laughs> like, yeah. So, so preacher man, uh, preacher sons, which by the way, like, I surprised the book title to end up being like we were talking about naming books after song lyrics. No, fuck I didn't no. realize you were in a song lyric marriage. I was in a song lyric marriage. <laughs> yeah, um, and and it was definitely a joke among my family for the entirety of the short lived marriage. How um, short lived? Uh, it was eighteen months before I filed for divorce. Eighteen months, and you're you probably still in school. No? I, oh, we didn't get married in college. It was I was right. in grad school by then. Right. Yeah, but because uh, we didn't get married till after he graduated from college. Oh, I so was, but you were together then, like several years. Yeah, yeah, we were yeah. together for a while, and then we got married. Um, and you know, we were both virgins on our wedding night because that's how you do it when you're Christians. Oh my. Um, I haven't talked I think, to one of you in forever. I know. Wait, so t- can you? Did you mind talking about wedding night? No, because I oh I have a whole thing in the book about it. Cool. So yeah, it's how, cool. Yeah. What, how what? Tell me things. (laughs) Did y'all wait till the night or did you like cheat and do it before the ceremony? No, we waited. How how was that experience? Uh, Especially knowing that there's like some sort of underling thing that has not been properly addressed yet. In hindsight, I mean, also to be clear, like we'd like made out and stuff before, but like, but we had we ever had I ever like, you know, had had it been like, oh, we do everything but no, because I. I ha- because I had no interest. I'm pretty sure he would have gone further, but like, I just didn't want to, didn't care, and I was like, mm, I just have such a strong faith. Mm, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, you're just like not attractive to- through no fault of his. Right. Completely, you know, lovely man. Just like, you know. Also, okay, can I say one thing that maybe I shouldn't say because I don't think, but like, please do. I'm just gonna say. That the woman who he dated in college before me was also queer. And so I'm just saying that maybe he has a type. In hindsight, it explains a lot of things Mm -hmm. because, like, I was legitimately trying. Like, you know what I mean? It sounds like it. Like, I, you know, I was really, and, and I talk about this in the book, like, I was really trying to you know make it work i i'd read a lot of fanfic porn <laughs> like i'd you know we had sex like multiple times that I night even think about it it was like how you prepare for that yeah like i mean but i yeah we had sex multiple times that night like i tried like yeah. i was like, like you studied i studied that's really what it was what did you what did you study like you what you read some fanfic well it wasn't really studying because i'd been reading fanfic for years so that right. i don't i don't think you can call that studying <laughs> i think that's just a habit but um but yeah like i you know 
I made an I made an effort. I made a solid effort. And did y'all talk about it a lot before leading up to the wedding? Oh God, night? no, not at all. No, no. Like not that I, I should say not that I can remember. If sure, we sure. if we did, I do not recall. And I'm glad I don't. <laughs> so um so yeah like i just i'm picturing him like uh we should try i read up there's some positions we we should oh we definitely didn't talk about it like that like for sure yeah no um no like you know we tried i mean not like we tried he had a good time and as much as like men are almost guaranteed a good time when they're you know 22 and 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 such um but I just, I just, I also, I remember that night, like, feeling, because obviously I wasn't out to myself then. I remember just feeling like something was wrong. Because I was like, not that he did anything wrong. Not that he hurt me. He didn't. Like, he was great. I was, he like, he was very attentive and very caring and all the, like, like, I have no critique of him. I remember just very distinctly, like, wanting it to be done and wanting to go to bed. And being like, something is missing with me. Like, we have now done this a few times. I should be feeling something. I should be feeling anything. Even if that anything is, like, you know, pain. <laughs> like, and I was I was fine. Like, I wasn't someone who, like, had a really painful first time. I was like, I should, anything. I should be feeling something. I did not feel a goddamn thing. Like, want, desire was totally absent. Like... And I just didn't have an explanation for it. And as we continued to have sex throughout, you know, the early months of our marriage, I like was very conscientious of that and like conscientious of trying to do new things and like trying new positions, trying other things, just like trying to figure out what we could do that I would unlock whatever was missing in me. And it took, you know, about a year into the marriage for me to be like, oh, I'm gay. (laughs) that's what's that's what what it is and nothing about him or this marriage is ever going to fix that Mm -hmm. because like that's actually what it is were you nervous about the sexual element of the wedding night like leading up to your wedding i don't have a recollection of being nervous about it but what i do know is that which which i do not remember but which i have been told by my mother and my sister who I was staying with at the hotel the night before is that I had a series of really bad panic attacks the night before my wedding. And I, I don't remember this like at all, which is also unusual. I have a really sharp memory. I have like an unusually good memory. Um, I don't recall. And they both have been like, you were not in good shape. Like we were, you know, rubbing your feet, like rubbing your back, like, you know, massaging you with essential oils, like, giving you tea like tr- just trying it sounds pleasant oh sounds- yeah no my no they were my mom and my sister were amazing like that yeah. wedding time like they were incredible um but they were just like trying to calm me down apparently because i was freaking the fuck yeah. out which i think in hindsight is just like not even necessarily related to the you know sex stuff about but just like my body like trying to reject what was happening right like, there, there was there was someone with a flannel shirt inside of you shouting like don't do it yeah no actually yeah. though like i think my body was like just like we don't have to do this and i was just powering through so mm-hmm. which is really like sad i think Fair. in hindsight um and like even if it's not like uh like an underlying queerness like i just for people right. who are deeply religious and right. approaching like 
the wedding night, whether it's the sex element or the like, is this the right decision element? All that stuff yeah. can be really nerve wracking. I've hear I've heard the story from like a lot of women, whether it's guests on the show or even fans of the show right. who just write in like, you know, now I'm married, I can do the thing, and I don't even know what the fuck's going on. And they also express similar like, well, I'm not liking the sex now mm-hmm. with my husband that I'm told. Heavenly Father says it's cool, right. so it must be wrong with me, and then that yeah. makes me get even sadder for that. Yeah, yeah, because that is the thing. It's like you're told that, oh, this is the this is God's plan, right. and that it's going to be blessed, and it's going to be amazing. And I think that I did have I, – I had the expectation that – like, I think I was realistic enough because I had enough people in my life who were having sex, like, who could tell – you know, who were both married and otherwise, who could tell me, like – just so you know, he's not going to be great at it right away. <laughs> like, so I had like, and also me, but like, sure. I so I had some, you know, Ex- like you had reasonable. Uh, I had I had reasonable expectations, but I did expect it to feel good sometime. You know, some kind of good sometimes, yeah. and it just didn't feel good ever. Yeah. And I just felt really numb pretty much every time, yeah. and I was like that feels like not what I should be feeling. (laughs) Maybe like that seems unusual. Um, And, and then after a while I just stopped interrogating it because I was like, well, this is just what it is. And this is how, and there's no changing it because we're married. And you know, that's my, the rest of my life is with this person and there's no changing it. So yeah. Can we contrast that with the first time you did feel something when you were sexual with somebody else? Uh, Yeah. The first time I had sex with a woman, it was like just standard third date sex, like with well, a woman. Oh, What does standard third date? Oh, sex sorry. Like <laughs> with two. Just I'm just curious. I'm just I was comparing. I know what my standard. Yeah. First, the third date no, sorry. I, I, I mean, like standard third date sex, I think just to like to set up the whole like, it's not like we were in love, you okay. know, like it was just, you know, it was your first time just like having some sex. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just having yeah. just like having some sex, like, you know, like hands and oral and all that. And like we went, I think, basically all night, which was rad and really good. In hindsight, I'm like, oh, hey, that doesn't always happen. That was fun. Um, what did it feel like when you finally kissed another woman? Oh, like incredible. I was because the both from the kissing to the immediate then all of that happened. Well, mm, the first time I kissed another woman was actually someone different. But same, same difference. Just the idea of like, but like I imagine there's a spark and I'm curious. Oh, yeah. How you might totally describe di- the spark no, having. Totally different. I, I haven't I haven't felt. Oh, I'm with an entirely wrong type of person. So like from the first one, at least like there's some kind of I know what that was. I mm-hmm. don't know what it's like to do that one. There's not other than when like I just don't click with a chick, yeah, right? Right. I know how I know that just feels like awkward, but uh, I'm yeah. curious like how you would describe it having already experienced the kind of the absence of it. Yeah, no. I mean, the first time I kissed another woman, it just like felt right, and I that I know that word sounds so trite probably, but it just felt like oh, like this is what it's supposed to be like. And I remember the first time that like that for she ended up being my first girlfriend and completely lovely and wonderful person. Um, You know, the first time that we had sex, like I just remember being like, this is what everyone talks about. Like, this is why everyone is so like, Oh, sex. Oh, sex is great. Oh my God. Like, this is why the church freaks out about it. Cause it's fucking awesome. Like this, like I very, I was 
very consciously having those thoughts. And it was so interesting, actually, because when um, I write about that very, that encounter, like very briefly in the book, and um, but I extrapolated on it a little bit because also at some point during that evening, I have a very clear memory of being like, this is what sex with someone who I don't love is like, like not, you know, not like in a, mm-hmm. cause we had just been going out for a, you know, a few weeks and, and it was great, but like, I would, you know, yeah. I didn't love her, but I, one of my reader, one of my first readers, um, a friend of mine, who's a wonderful novelist, but who I purposefully had read the book because she did not grow up evangelical or Christian. Or really, like, you know, devoutly anything. Um, she was like, that's a really fucking weird thought that you're put. Like, why is that here? Like, I, I understand that you have this thought, but it doesn't make sense to me, like, as a reader. And so I, I was like, oh, right. I kind of have to explain the evangelical, like, understanding of why I would contrast, of why it's very relevant for me to be thinking about how powerful it is to be having such good sex with someone who I don't love. Because the evangelical messaging has always been that sex is only good within marriage. It's only good within a loving, you know, committed marriage relationship. And that any sex outside of that will not be fulfilling and will be empty. And it's just vacuous pleasure and you'll feel terrible afterwards. And it's like, I've had sex at that point. I was like, I'd had sex within marriage plenty and it had been like very unfulfilling, you know, because I'm a lesbian and then I'm having sex with someone who I don't love, but like is everything I want and it's blowing my mind. Mm -hmm. And so that was just very like moving for me. Were you nervous at all the first time? Oh, yeah. Because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And she dated plenty of women before and I never had. And I did disclose. I was like, I did kind of feel bad in hindsight. um, Because it's totally a thing when you're a woman telling another woman that it's your first time and and stuff. Because I kind of sprung it on her during. Yeah. (laughs) In hindsight, wouldn't have done that. Um, Why is that? Because I think it was rude. Oh, I mean, <laughs> like, how, well, how'd she take it? Oh, she took it great. She uh, was, yeah, she was great. I don't think it's but rude. I, was, but I, I definitely just, like told it sounds her. Sounds like a nervous person. Oh, I was and very that's okay nervous. To be nervous in bed. Yeah, I was nervous because I was like, I don't know that I know what I'm doing, yeah. you know. And it was very, yeah, yeah. So did she like kind of walk you through it? Did she, like or yeah, but also like it was. I don't know. You but you figure it out. Sure, <laughs> like it was good. Right. Okay. But just she, you know, she took it well. She was instructive. Good for yeah. you know, good for her. Yeah. Yeah. She was great. And, and then, we dated for a few months, and yeah. she was just completely lovely. So yeah. And then after that, you know, several months of of hooking up with her, then it was uh, then off to the races. You were like, how? Wh- where's your faith at after that? After oh, you realized so, that, that that faith had been hiding this from you, this pleasure from yeah, you. Yeah. So, so long. I so I should say like is that by the point that you know I was hooking up with her, like I was on the outs with with faith stuff uh-huh. because in the you know coming coming out to myself and which was just a whole agonizing process because I was married when that was happening yeah. and you know then from there it was the well this is completely opposite to what god wants and i can't you know i can't do both like um i had a a very hard mental health you know crisis there for a while it was really it was really rough um and once i like really hit rock bottom like with myself for a while i kind of came out the other end with the help of a number of wonderful people in my life and was like okay let's 
you know, maybe consider that divorce is preferable to like me dying (laughs) um, as a way of getting out of this marriage. And like ultimately decided to leave my husband but that also entailed like me leaving the church is i i did not at the time i really couldn't see a way that and like leaving my faith i should say like there wasn't a way for me to end my marriage and like salvage the faith like it was just a total breaking point Mm. um and then you did those good boundaries you talked about having I did. I did. Um, those were not so much in place then. No. <laughs> I will say I, I was unsubscribed from the newsletters. Yes. Yes. I, I, you know, those have been a, ever in process sure. since then. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, got divorced, um, like gradual, kind of like gradually did a fade out with Jesus, which was a long and agonizing process also. But uh, by the time I was dating that first girlfriend, like I was not going to church. I wasn't reading my Bible. I was not praying. I was very much like, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. And that, but I had a lot of like grief and anger around it. And I wasn't even, I was just trying to not think about it because it was too fresh. It was too raw. So did you go out and have fun? I had some fun. I was so at that like, time. T- tell this, us about like discovering dating women. Yeah, so that was pre Tinder. Um, do you re- okay. do you remember the pre Tinder days? Be- Tinder came out like a year after I graduated college, Got so I it. had like oh, a yeah. few months of adult life before it was out. I yeah. mean, I I had Tinder when it first came out, and like you could still run out of people in New York. I remember being at Eastfield Comedy Club. And I was like, I think I just ran out of people on Tinder. That's crazy. <laughs> That's incredible. But that was like 2012. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, and it might have been here before, because I was in Boston at the sure. time. Um, so we had like OK Cupid was the the dating app, which you know I have a lot of nostalgia for OK Cupid back then because people actually, and at least among the queers and lesbians, like good lord above, like did people actually commit to the long bios and reading them and messaging and all of that. So I was largely, um, because in Boston, there like aren't a lot of, um, there's like one major, well, I can only speak for like what was happening back then. I don't know what the case is now. Um, But there was a uh, kind of like rotating flannel takeover, um, which was, right, right. such a way to word it. Yeah, yeah. Where like, you know, we would just basically take over, you know, where queer, queer women would, you know, end up at like straight bars and just like do a takeover for the night, which was, it was part of an organized one confused um, pat fans just looking around like a lot of chick bros here dude tonight. actually though like it, it, it well, a lot of chick bros here tonight <laughs> no it was interesting though too because some some places were amazing and then some places it was like oh my god like if we ended up at a place in fenway it was awful because it was like a sports bar and they were all just there for a fucking red Sox game and it could get like a little bit dangerous especially like with trans folks and so the organizers didn't always do a great job of making sure that the events were trans friendly which was a huge fucking problem and anyway so flannel takeovers were one of the one of the things but there was really just this one gay club at the time because like machine is dead now like you know r.i.p like which was a really uh great club that had like good uh good gay nights but uh what fuck the gay club i'm like forgetting what its name was was it literally like club i have it'll come to me after i leave your house like that's what <laughs> it literally will um but yeah so there weren't a ton of options for like going out in the lgbt scene which is weird because boston is extremely gay okay. um especially among the grad student scene so it was a lot of dating on like the apps at the time still and that's where i met a lot of my dates a lot of women um i had a 
Oh my god! At the time, I'm I'm I was so embarrassing. I called them like sweeps weeks when I would have multiple dates like every night, and just I went out with so many people. I wasn't like necessarily sleeping with a lot of people, but I was going Long out with days. a fuck ton of people just to figure out what I liked and just to figure out like what kind. I went out with all kinds of women yeah. and all kinds of folks, like just to figure out who I clicked with, like because I'd never. I just felt like I had a lot of catching up to do. And so, yeah, I dated, I dated a ton. I didn't necessarily hook up a ton, but I dated a ton. What did you learn about uh, what you liked in? Like who who taught you what? (laughs) I dated a lot of very, I ended up dating a lot of very tall, butchy tops. Okay. Uh, and a lot of Mask of Center, uh, a lot of Mask of Center folks. Um, and I ended up in a very quickly, actually, in a pretty long term serious relationship um, with a with which I only briefly mention in this book. And I'm who knows, I might end up writing about that relationship later on. I have no plans to do so anytime soon. Um, but with a, a really lovely um very tall mask of center engineer uh, who had gone to MIT and, uh, and we were together and we like moved. She's the person who I moved to New York with and like was fucking brilliant. And we were together for a number of years and she was who I ended up with in Boston for a really long period of time. And then we moved to New York and got a dog and (laughs) eventually broke up and (laughs) didn't talk for a while because it's established. I do the boundaries thing. And yeah. So, uh, what type of dates did you go on where you learned what you did not like? <laughs> I very, me- I mean, a, a number of them. Mostly, it was with completely like you know fine people who we just didn't have anything right. in common. I also went out with a handful of folks who it was very clear were not out to the people in their life, which I completely appreciate that folks, everyone's a their own point in their journey and also i had just blown up my life and lost a lot of people in mm-hmm. order to come out and so i was like i'm not gonna date someone who's not out at this point like okay. you know that's just like not where i'm at um but the dates that stick out as being highly antagonistic um <laughs> are with very preppy wealth who I absolutely didn't click with and like were with people who I really ended up not liking by the end Does of Wisconsin our Wisconsin even have prep schools <laughs> it's like oh, oh sorry were you Iowa Wisconsin I, I, I grew heard... up between Iowa and right, Wisconsin right. I grew up rural in small towns I think there's towns. one prep school between the two states I mean there's definitely <laughs> some but like they're also around the cities and are like in you know wealthier communities and sure. I grew up rural like working class you know like very like ex-military father like I don't know I just grew up in a certain way which means that I'm pro like in a romantic capacity i have discovered i super do not click with incredibly like preppy wealthy new england women whose families have summer homes on cape cod and who summer and who also like do like winters and summers in europe and who wear like boat shoes in the middle of winter um with their salmon and like turquoise pants and who like went to harvard on a lacrosse scholarship not that just is a very particular kind of person that i went out with i hate like that sounds like that sounds like one specific person you're like trying not to say danielle's name no that's that that describes a handful of people like generally like who i went out with and i think it's because and it's so interesting i was told by more than one person that based on my okcupid profile people thought that i was in a phd program at harvard which i was not i was in a phd program at brandeis um 
in English lit, but like people got Harvard vibes from me. And I was like, I don't know what I did wrong to make you think that. Um, like, is it just because I seem smart? Like, it's because I seem smart. Is like, um, and, and people <laughs> and people who are like of the Ivy League, like have a hard on for other people from the Ivy League. Uh-huh. And it's a whole thing. Wait, wait, did people turn you down when they realized... Oh, it's just Brandeis? No, they were. Well, I mean, they definitely had that vibe when they found out, but they also were like, but you're still smart and hot. So, okay. And I was like, that makes you less attractive, actually, (laughs) that you're only going to date certain people from certain schools. Like, I'm like, I'll fuck with anybody. But like, you know, that's actually making eh. anyway, like these, these were people who and I and I bring that up because they it was the assumptions that they made were incredibly limiting. Yeah, like they made assumptions about like, things that I must have done based on my education Mm. that actually like were really early seeds that helped inform some ideas that are in the book. Um, like that I actually haven't put that together before now, which is funny. Um, but like they assumed that because I studied English literature, Oh, you must have spent so much time in England. And I'm like, that's a, that's a hell. No, right. Which is a hell of a leap that only certain people with very certain classed experiences are going to make. And I've never even heard that stereotype before. What? I was in a PhD program. I study English literature. I studied the long 18th century between 1680 and 1820 and a lot of literature of the French Revolution. And so they were like, so they were like, oh, well, you must have spent so much time doing X, Y, and Z in England. And oh, you must have done this in Paris because of, I'm like, I've never been out of the country. Like I, what I've never been on a plane with my parents. At what point would I have been able to afford a trip to England, you know? And of course I'm not saying it exactly like that, but, but the assumptions that are made about the kind of experiences someone must have had or what someone must be able to do simply because of their education, like not even taking into account class or how even like race like yeah. and obviously i'm a white woman and these are white women who i was going out with clearly like it doesn't yeah. doesn't even need to be said <laughs> like um like just the lack of ability to imagine a world like bigger than their own bubble right. is whereas like if i feel like if you come up from the lower classes you have no choice but to always be conscientious of what you do not have and of what other people are doing and of what the other options are available, you know, you outside can tell they of weren't what you have. Exposed to much, yeah, right. And like, that was incredibly frustrating. And those were really bad dates. That's a very long answer to your question. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, I can't only imagine how the, those, those dates. Oh, they on. ended with a like barely a hug, and I might have even tried a handshake that didn't work, but. What happened where you tried to give out the handshake? Yeah. Oh, I definitely, I definitely try to do that. Well, I mean, not lately because like, obviously I'm in a long-term, like very happy relationship right now. But like, and I was like, to your point, actually, I was like very, that we were talking about, I think before we started recording, I was very purposefully like celibate and single for about two years prior to my current relationship. Um, But yeah, I a hundred percent will like handshake at the end of a date if I do not want to do it again i mean at that point i don't even need to i can just be like hey you know what this wasn't good i don't we don't yeah like, we don't need a touch yeah we're good no that's, that, that's a painful handshake if a woman ever extended me a handshake i'd be like it's okay if you're not feeling it but like we we don't have to this it's fine i mean to be fair i do date exclusively other women and like 
it can be really unclear. People will do things that make it seem like they're into you and then they're just actually super not. I hear this all the time, the confusion of like, are they into me? Are they just being friendly? Are we friends? Are we hooking up? And the thing is that like, I'm an incredibly direct person and I am very comfortable. Like, I'm not going to say like, we're not doing this. I'm not going to be rude. I mean, maybe you're not going to say like, maybe see you another time I would, if you don't mean it. I would like to make it as clear as possible so that if this person is completely clueless, which has happened, and then has to go and describe to their friends how it ended, if it was a handshake, every one of their friends will be like, oh, yeah, that's done. Yeah. Like, you know, like, okay. I don't want to leave room for interpretation here. Like, I just don't know how that friend, that person even leaves the handshake being like, yeah, hey, girls, I need, what does the handshake mean? Like, gosh, I feel bad for the person who doesn't pick that up on their own. There are some really dense dykes in the world. Ah! Like, hashtag, like, hashtag dense dykes. Hashtag dense dykes. That's start, all I've got to say. Start, invite people to share bad date stories. Truly. Hashtag dense dykes. Like, yeah. I say that more so less because the handshake has been confusing and more so because like, like I've been kissed at the end of a date and then followed up and been like, hey, that was great again. And they've been like, "Mm, I wasn't feeling it. And I was like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) I would recommend not kissing someone at the end of a date. If you would like to not do it again. I will defend that in that like. Sometimes really? you need, Well, the, the kiss. I was just talking about this with somebody. The, that kiss. Sometimes like it can be clicking. It can be clicking. And yeah. if the kiss ain't good. If it, not for like even no, skill no. reasons. But if it doesn't click on the kiss. It's like fuck. Or. That's fair. That's fair. If you're not clicking like date wise. But you're like do I want to fuck this person. You yeah. might be like, well, let's kiss because if that sparks, then like we could do that thing. That's fair. And so sometimes I've been on dates where it's like, this doesn't go well, but you know what? The kissing's hot and they're hot. Like we could fool around. And sometimes I'm on dates where like we find, I was like, not sure how the date's going. And then we kiss and it's not. Mm, and that makes me know I don't need the second date. That's fair. That's fair. I do respect that. I will say if the conversation wasn't good, I have no interest in fucking them. I mean, same. same. Well, oh, oh, sorry. I didn't read into dating them. I, I can fuck someone I don't click with hard, but depending on what they say, and I think we, we, we vibe on this and that, if you expose enough ignorance, it's hard for me to even want to like Oh, I can't. You, you no, know? I, 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 I can't. It's too much. I no. can't. I, Someone tried to bully me on this on the show like you know, five years ago. He was like, Billy, I can line up like 10 beautiful women from Dallas who voted for Trump and you'd want to sleep with all of them. I was like, when I find out they voted for Trump, I will not. That is, and he couldn't understand the idea that like I would turn down pussy based off of like principles. And I was like, that shows the type of man you are and the type of man I am. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, that's, yeah, it's just making me think I know a number of queer women who have uh, hooked up with, uh, well, I should say, I should say I know a number of gay women who have hooked up with Trump voters. It is like, again, because like sexuality is not like just because you have sex with women doesn't make you queer. Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. To your point, though, same. Like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what is there anything um, f- that from the evangelicalism do you, that you feel like still sits inside you today that affects your love life now? That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, I, I think I alluded to this earlier. Like, 
I definitely have a tendency for thinking about things in ter- like in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm working on the the cultivating the gray gray matter gray area. Um, I am very lucky in the fact that, like I mentioned, my my girlfriend is also ex evangelical, um, and so in terms of the like discussing the the trauma of that and the the behavior that can come from that, like you know she gets it she has her own stuff and and i have someone who i can really talk about it with um and like we were friends for years before we started dating and so we all kind of also had bonded over all of that already she'd heard about all the preppy chicks she knew yeah she knew all of that all, she um, heard about all the dense types. she not even all of that like she just she'd seen me in my disastrous dating here like you know before like she's she'd seen some choices that i had made like up close and personal and had borne witness to my (laughs) she'd borne witness (laughs) to my dating life um well before we actually Mm -hmm. started dating so she knew um she was aware of what she was getting into (laughs) so um but yeah like we we definitely like get to bond over um over yeah like i think the the things that we have and haven't processed which Mm. is which is helpful i think always in a relationship to have stuff that like isn't necessarily made easier by the fact that the other person gets it but like it also is made easier by the fact that they understand so is there anything specific that you feel like you're still processing i mean It's hard. I will say it's kind of hard to articulate a specific thing because evangelicalism is such an all encompassing like worldview. It's just come up randomly. All of a sudden you go, whoa, was that the thing? No, that, but it's, but it is like that. Um, it's an, it's really, you know, all encompassing. And for myself and my, and for my girlfriend, like we were both raised in it from infancy. Like, and it's just, it's how you, it's embedded in how you think and how you behave and how you process information and how you make decisions. And there are just, yeah, there are things I'm still like, I'm still unpacking and that I still don't, I, there's probably stuff that I still haven't even hit, you know, <laughs> like that there are layers still to go in therapy that I, st- that I still haven't got to. Um, and yeah. And so it, it kind of can come out of left field sometimes for sure. I, I think that that's something that I've gone the kind of like my awareness of my, and I'm talking a lot about the the black and white decision-making because that's something I go in and out of being conscientious of. And I think right now I'm being, I'm particularly aware of it because I'm trying to be a little bit more flexible in some of my decision-making like around, you know, book launch, for example, like I'm like, there are very specific things I would like to have happen. There are specific things I want to go a certain way. And only then if it goes exactly that way, will it be like, you know, successful or, or whatnot. That's just like how my brain like worked for like 25 years. <laughs> and I'm really trying to like, you know, take the Lego blocks down, if you will. And like, just be like, no, there are many options and many paths and they're all valid and things can look a lot of different ways. And that's still okay. And that's a, which sounds, I think so basic to so many people, but to me it's hard. So well, I'm glad it all didn't like rob you of your ability to, you know, enjoy pleasure and like have a nice, healthy yeah. joint with your girl. And yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah, it sounds like things are in a, is in a nice spot. They are. They are. It's taken a minute. But at this point, I feel really lucky and, and really happy and healthy and like in a much in a much better place, definitely right. than than I was uh, when I was experiencing the things that are in the book. So. Yeah. 
don't know if it's because I was listening to WTF before this or it was referenced at some point now, but I had this like urge to be like, so you good? You, good? <laughs> like, you feel good? Yeah. Yeah, I feel good. I feel good. Um, Gina, you know, so the book, it's called Heretic. Uh, I'm not sure when this comes out, but I'm sure it's in or around o- when it's coming out. October 25th, Scorpio Eclipse, baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> really in for that Halloween release. <laughs> for sure. Uh, where can people go to find you, follow you, and keep an eye out for the book? GinaCadlick.com, J-E-A-N-N-A-K-A-D-L-E-C, and also Twitter and Instagram, at GinaCadlick on both. Fantastic. Nice and easy. I'll have uh, links in the show notes for all that. And uh, Gina, this was great. Thanks for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. And uh, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Have a wonderful day. Oh, 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 wait, 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 no, 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 not, you're not done yet, okay, there, there's still some content to hear if you want to, because I'm about to play a little teaser of my bonus episode with Gina at the end of this little spiel here, I just got to get through a few things, just a couple pieces of business, can you hang, can you hang, let's hang, okay, real quick. Again, you can pre-order Heretic, Gina's new book. Uh, Link is in the bio while you're down there. Follow her on the socials. I think she's a quite pleasant Twitter follow. And while you're at all of that, okay, make sure you're following yours truly on your preferred social media platform. Look, I'm not going to run them all down. The link is in the show. Links are all in the show notes. They're always in the show notes, people. I will say TikTok. Okay, I I do have the two TikToks now. Got the Billy Presida, which is just going to kind of be me and my uh, don't put me in a niche content, as well as uh, hopefully soon some stand up clips. And then I got UG dating my new one. That one's going to be specifically about like dating and relationships. And if the algorithm isn't weird, maybe I'll teach you how to throw a gangbang. I don't know. The email address here at the show is manhorpod at gmail.com. Maybe you got a comment, a question, a criticism. Maybe you need some advice. Maybe you wrote Man Whore Podcast on your titties. Man, I, early days of the podcast, those were some fun emails to get. Somewhat solicited nudity using a Sharpie marker. I mean, that's great. I did get one dick pic with Man Whore on it, and that's really the only dick pics I want to get unsolicited. Like, you best have the show name on there so I can advertise it on my OnlyFans. Hey, <laughs> again, manwhorepod at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And last but certainly not least, folks, did you know that there are nearly 300 bonus episodes of the show available exclusively on Patreon? Yes, these are separate recordings with guests that have never been on the show. These are uh, clips of the podcast I took out just for my patrons. These are additional conversations I have with the guest after we're done. Last week, you know, Emily, we were uh, we were brainstorming book ideas for Billy. Well, I I clipped out the first like 12, 13 minutes of my recording with Gina because it was us just talking about books, Uh, just talking about books and how she's trying to avoid book reads because apparently (laughs) I did not know this book reads is toxic. Hey, I had no idea that it was so scary to go on to book reads these days, but it's like a pretty like fun chipper conversation we had. I I think you're going to enjoy it so you can gain access to that bonus episode as well as all the others at patreon.com slash podcast or you can download the patreon app find me on there and not only are you uh going there for the bonus episodes you're supporting me and the slutty life that i'm trying to live for you i don't know it's it's been less slutty these days but that's because i'm in love all right babies um <laughs> my heart's in a place all right <laughs> 
it's been my me being still so insanely in love with wallet no lady means i can like only use my dick four or five times a month that's very inconvenient this love thing all right folks enjoy the teaser register the vote Mm. be in love if you want and stay slutty PBD, yeah. Oh, it's not about being in the 30s, like get less excited about the sex and more excited about like connection, love, stability. Maturity. We love to see it. We do? <laughs> like, oh good. Thank God. <laughs> no, that's so real. But um, but yeah, no, to your to your question, I think with me it's part partly temperament. I think I like I came out of the womb just very like serious and you know, I was just one of those children that's like very a very not like necessarily quiet, but just a very serious um organized focused child i was you know i had to be encouraged to play like that kind of thing um but i think definitely partly it was growing up in such a strict organized religion um and evangelicalism being uh (laughs) just such a shit show um and so black and white and so it's this or that and if you're not together you're broken up and not that they would talk about it like that because within evangelicalism right you're supposed to be a virgin till you get married and then you're with that person for life so the way they they don't really talk about how to break up with people 